will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after running after me your goodness is running after running after me with my life laid down i surrender now i give you everything your goodness is running after running after me your goodness is running after running after me your goodness is running after, running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, running after me. And all my life you have been faithful. All my so so good with every breath that i am able i will sing of the goodness of god and all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so every breath and I am able I will sing of the goodness of God your goodness is running after running after me your goodness is running after running after me with my life laid down I surrender now I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And so my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God oh I will sing of the goodness of God
Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming Here I raise my Ebenezer Hither by thy help I've come And I hope by thy good pleasure Safely to arrive at home Jesus saw me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God He to rescue me from danger Interposed his precious Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let thy goodness like a fetter Find my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it Seal it for thy courts above All else I adore your name Romans 11:32-36 For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And oh the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God what God shall repay them? For him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. All the poor and powerless, all the lost and lonely, all the thieves will come confess, and all that you are holy, all the poor and powerless. And all the lost and lonely And all the thieves will come confess And know that you are holy And know that you are holy And 
and all will sing out hallelujah we will cry out hallelujah all the hearts who are content and all who feel unworthy And all who hurt with nothing left Will know that you are holy And all will sing out hallelujah We will cry out hallelujah all will sing out hallelujah we will cry out hallelujah go on and scream it from the to the masses that he is God shout it go on and scream it from the mountains go on and tell it to the masses that he Shout it, go on and scream it from the mountains, go on and tell it to the masses, that He is God. We will sing out hallelujah, we Reading Deuteronomy 29 and 30. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab. In addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb, Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, 
Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great trials, those signs and great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or eyes that see, or ears that hear. Yet the Lord says, During the forty years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine other than fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. When you, pre when you reached this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out to fight against us, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant, so that you may prosper in everything you do. All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here in order to enter a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God and he, as he promised you. And as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not with us here today. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. When such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves, thinking, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way, they will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive them. His wrath and zeal will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will fall on them, and the Lord will blot out their names from under heaven. The Lord will single them out from all the tribes of Israel for disaster, according to all the curses of this covenant written in the book of the law. Your children who follow generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the on the land and the disease with which the Lord has inflicted it. The whole land will be burning waste of salt and sulfur. Nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Admon and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this fierce burning anger? And the answer will be, it is because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshipped other gods and bowed down, to them, bowed down to them, gods they did not know, gods that had not given, he had not given them. Therefore the Lord's anger burned against this land, so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. In furious anger and with great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land as it is now. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he has scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord God will bring you and gather you back and bring you back to him. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord God will put all the curses, these curses of your, on your enemies who hate you and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors. 
If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands, the decrees that are written in this book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now what, I'm in, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will send into heaven to get it and proclaim it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, cross the sea to get it, claim it, to obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away and bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have, that I have set before your life and death blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The word of the Lord. God, and thank you for that reading, David and Shelley. One of the, the treasures I, for me of being the pastor here is, is this time we take to read scripture aloud. Um, and it's great to hear it in its fullness. It it started early in my time here where we decided to do uh, a reader's theater with the book of Ruth. And what we did was we divided up all the parts that are in Ruth and we read it together. And what turned out, what happened is the church was much smaller then. And it was five of us reading the book of Ruth to two people. Um, and there was beauty in that and there was air in that too. It was like, well, maybe I won't do that again for a long time. Um, if you were a visitor, you would have been like, they invited me to church and they read me the book of Ruth. Um, but I think there's goodness and truth and beauty in that as well, that that's, there's something here. And, and, and I would encourage you, as you know, we record these sermons, but I, I lately I've been posting the scripture readings with it. And so for me to hear the scripture read again in a different voice, all these connections begin in my head all over again on like what can be heard and what can be said. And so if you have time during the week, uh, I think it'd be good to hear the scripture again, rather read by them or somebody else, because it will, I think, spark those connections in your head too. You can read it, but I think somehow sometimes when we're reading it, it becomes, we're reading and doing, but if we're just passively listening and sitting there, it it works better to inspire thoughts and and to draw us deeper into the text. Um, And so it's always a, a treasure to sort of here, it read again as I spend all week with the text. This is, in some ways, our last sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and in, I say in some ways in our, our, our last, because next week, I want to do sort of a retrospective on the life of Moses. And so it's going to be like one of those graduation ther- ceremonies where we have a video playing with like, here's what he was like when he was originally called killing a guy. And here's him parting the waters. And here's now. Uh, we're not going to do that. But if there was a song, it would be something like Tim McGraw that would go over that. Um, I honestly don't believe that either. Um, now we've gone a long ways. Let us pray. Um, the, this is our last sort of sermon on the book of Deuteronomy, and this is sort of where most people think it reaches its peak as well. It sort of comes to its climax here. And so what we saw in, in sort of books uh, one through... Um, Six was sort of this retrospective, one through four-ish, this retrospective on where the people had been. And then from five to 11, um, we saw sort of this command to sort of be these people, and that included the Ten Commandments and the Shema, and sort of the guardrails on where they've gone wrong as well. And then um, from, 
13 all the way up until um, where this third speech begins, we're sort of hearing laws to govern particular life. And one of the things I've been trying to say about the laws that govern particular life is that they're outlines of what the kingdom would look like for us. You may not see it in them, all of them, but they're, they're rough sketches and they become the outline of what that is. The, the second thing to remember about those, which I remember this morning, is if you think they're sometimes weird and harsh, if you have time, look up the Code of Amurami or other resources from the same time of what the other nations were governed by, and you'll see that God is making a more just society, even perhaps in its fallenness. That God is sort of repairing the people in a different way, to, to reflect in the world differently. And so you'll often see, even if it sounds a little harsh, and and one of the reasons we can do this as Christians, which is an aside I haven't really referenced, it's weird to do this when you're preaching on the Deuteronomy, is that Jesus says that this law was given to us because we were stubborn. <laughs> um, that there's another goal in mind. He's talking about divorce at that moment. But, but when you think about it, it's like here we are preaching on something that was given to us because we are stubborn. Part of me goes, I want the real deal. And then I look at what this deal is, and I'm like, no, no, that's hard enough. Um, yeah, I'm good. Uh, so you're caught in that bind on, the, on, on that one. But this image, which I've, I've been using, and I want to hit on it this one last time, is uh, for this series, um, is this idea that we live on a timeline of sort of death, of slavery, and sin. And that's not only where Israel begins their life, but where Christians begin their life, is that before we are called into the faith, we live in this world in which we are bound to sort of this world of death, um, this world in which we are sort of trapped there. And what happens is an exterior word, a word from without us, comes to us and brings us into new life. This is where you are here begins. And we're brought into another timeline. We're brought into another space. And yet we continue to exist in the world. And so we have both this timeline that we are called into that is eternal and this timeline of sin and death and destruction that we live on that is going to end. That it's not our true home after we've received the word of what God is going to do for us. And the wilderness is actually the time sort of in the box. That was one of the themes from the book of Numbers is that that time is in the box. And this is, and this is another way in which this, this continued timeline is the um, kingdom of heaven or new creation or the, whatever way you want to phrase it in the New Testament, making the top old creation. Or in the book of Deuteronomy for today, blessings on the eternal line and curse on the other. And so we feel ourselves like these people called between blessing and curse. Called between where we're supposed to be with the law that God has given us and in our ability to have amnesia and forget and to not hear and to not listen and to not pay attention, drawn back to our old patterns. And so we live in this place at this time. Now one of the things that I've been struggling with with the book of Deuteronomy and thinking about continually and I'm still thinking about is that the book of Deuteronomy, the Torah, which there's this classic saying, I don't know where I heard it, that sometimes the rabbis will say, the Torah is the real thing, the rest of it's just commentary. And we see this sort of with Jesus too, is that, is that the prophets are used as commentary on Torah. Oh, you've weighted it wrong. So they ask Jesus, how do you weight the law? And he picks two sections from one from the book of Deuteronomy and one from the book of Leviticus. But Jesus waits the law, and so the rest, in some sense, is commentary. Now, that's, uh, there's history books in there. God knows what you do with literature, so that's not a very clear distinction, but, but it is a, a good way to think that, like, for these people, it was all said in Torah. How we live it out is what we get corrected to in other parts of Scripture. And so for Christians, our definitive lens for reading the Old Testament is through the lens of Jesus, who teaches us the correct way to read and wait this so that we can live the promised land of life. Which sounds like a Joel Austin phrase there. Is that, uh, uh, um, your promised land life now. Um, uh, I, see, it wasn't obvious, I, but then I made it obvious, which I shouldn't have done. Um, 
what happens, and this is a correction maybe to that type of theology, is the people don't achieve it in the Torah. The book ends with uh, Moses next week. Uh, spoiler alert, he dies. Um, and the people are at the edge of the land. They're at the edge of the promise. And so it is with us, too, in this kingdom sort of life, is that we don't make it completely here on earth. We pray in the Lord's Prayer that your kingdom come, your will be done. But it is not for us to preserve completely ourselves, but it is something that is arriving to us through God. It is weird, when you think about it, that this ends without them having that promise fully fulfilled. It's a promise that goes all the way back to one of the first or second covenant sort of made with Abraham all the way back, and the book ends with them sort of having this choice in front of themselves. Blessing and curse. Live what God has commanded. Be this way. But the fulfillment of it for both the people of the Torah and for the people of the New Testament is to come in God's time. It doesn't come in our time. And so this timeline here is we can make the error of thinking that we live always on the eternal timeline, that there is no fallenness to the world. And, and we're going to go through this passage sort of line by line, but the one thing that stood out to me is there's a point in which the person who's the problem says, my peace and prosperity is fine, but nobody else's. They, they sort of individualize their focus. And you can see that here sort of in this graph and what we're talking about is to say, I live shalom in my nice house, or maybe not nice house. You can, you can become apathetic in many different ways. I live shalom and I will abandon the other world in which I'm called to be engaged in. So we talk about the love of God and the love of neighbor. You can begin to say, look, my house is in order and forget the love of neighbor. And what this passage in 29 sort of um, directs for us is that that person is the problem. Um, that is one of the ways in which we turn astray to think that, look, I've got it. And we cannot rise up and see that there are thistles and thorns and fallenness and death that still reigns in the world. And when we forget that, we can begin to lose the gifts that God has called us to. So um, the last thing with this, which I think I made clear, is that this um, passage for us, I think, is going back to one of those themes we talked about a little bit in the book of Numbers, is both what does it mean to be for Israel, what does it mean for the church as we are caught in this bind, and what does it mean surgically for our own souls? So Israel in the Torah is the story of one person is one of the things I've been challenged, trying to challenge us to see, is that it's a collective identity. And so we think, well, bummer for the people who died in the wilderness, this, that, and the other, which is true, um, but also that God is bringing out a person almost in the world, a, a people that is made up of one person. Um, it breaks our individualism as modern people, but it would be more to say that how is this place doing? Is it succeeding beyond just me? Is it being in the world beyond just my, my family, my land, my relation? It's, it's an image to say that it's a bigger thing, that we're a part of a bigger thing as a church. And then individually to say that what Israel is going through is the challenge that we feel in our lives as well. Um, you don't want to go too far towards the individualized, and perhaps avoiding the, the collective can be an error too. But this is the covenant at Moab, and so we've seen... Um, a couple different covenants, and there's one contrasted here. And in, in the Bible, um, the covenant at Moab sort of drops off after the scene. It's never sort of referenced again, uh, which is a weird thing. But it comes sort of out of this boundaried place. One of the themes we've been talking about is what does it mean to stand at the boundary of something, to go into graduation, to go into a new place, to stand at the edge of something. And so this covenant is at the edge of that place of the new thing that is going to come into the world. And the people are reminded again of what and who they will be. What Moses begins with, as he does often, this is part of the problem with this sermon. There's so much here. It's a very, very thick passage, a very, very important ones. And so I'm looking at a slide, and I'm like, 
Yeah, we'll skip that for now. Um, the, the, the people are reminded as they are often in these places early on, and this is at the beginning of 29. And like I said, we'll, I'll do my best just to walk through it. I'm sure I'll be cutting stuff off as we go. Um, so I'll do my best to walk through. This is at the beginning of 29. He reminds them of their freedom from Egypt, their care in the wilderness, and their early victories on this way. In some sense, he's reminding them of the providential way that God has cared for them. It was horrible when we were in slavery, but God heard our cries and brought us out of that place. We went into the wilderness and we had no idea how we would survive. And what it says in this one is that their clothes didn't wear out. That God's care for them during that time is another lesson. How will we take the land? You've seen signs of this victory that's coming for you and the victories that have already happened. That God reminds them, of Moses reminds them of the way that this God has cared for them, the way that this God has been there for them, and that these are the ways in which they will be able to come to follow the covenant. And I, I think this is instructive for us because, and it's true of Abraham too, that God calls us out with limited demands. And when we learn what it's like to be free, when we learn that God has cared and tended to us, that God will lead us into signs of victory, then covenant demands come. It's this... Uh, there's a classic Lutheran distinction of law and gospel. Um, the law is what harms us, and the gospel is what heals us. And to Luther, every text and every sermon should have some law and some gospel in it. But there's a question of one which precedes the other. So much of the contemporary Christian life has thought that law is what you need to hear first. It's instructive that you be wounded so that you can hear the good news that God forgives you. Torah, to some degree, reverses that fundamental dichotomy as it says, it's good to know the goodness first, and then the command comes. It's, it's, it's a grace precedes law in that way. You were rescued before you were given the Ten Commandments. Now, I would say that characteristically in the Christian life in the New Testament, it, it can get reversed, which is to say, I think, we don't know which precedes the other. Um, it's not for us to know. There are people who know the goodness of a, of a family or witness a new family who are adopted and find that they want to live in a different way. And there are people who need to hear the ways in which they have turned astray and harmed others to receive healing. It, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer would be my answer to this 35th side note. Um, so, but it, what it says is that to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or ears to, eyes to he, see, that see or ears that hear. It's almost like all of the book of Deuteronomy has come to this point where it says that you're not going to get it. You will go off into exile. You will lose the land. Destruction will come. And this is one of the more bizarre parts of this whole passage. The idea that we've been building to this point in which it says, betrayal is at root for you. You will forget. You will not move forward. You will end up lost in the land. And we too, in, in, in the New Testament, you'll hear Jesus using this, although he's quoting from a different place, that people would have eyes to see and ears to hear so that they might understand the truths of the kingdom. And it's the Lord who has to give these things to us. Now this is where we start moving fast, but it's a, yeah. So the next part um, is he says that all peoples here are bound to this. I love the part that even those who gather wood are bound to this thing that God is saying to them. This is the next section here is that all, um, 
are are sort of brought into this. But the but the thing that it says that I think should stand out to us is that the people who aren't here also are bound to this. This covenant transcends time and it transcends space in this way to say that the future people would be brought into this too. Why read the book of Deuteronomy today? Because the people not here will hear this as well. That all people who are standing at this boundary will hear this again. And this is who God is making his covenant with. And what it talks about then is the abandoned covenant. Um, that they walked through Egypt and they saw the idols, they saw the testable things, and, and to go after those things would lead to destruction. This is where that passage comes in. When such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves. It's a standout line. A blessing on themselves, thinking, I will be safe, even though I persist in going my own way. They will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive them. His wrath and zeal will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will fall on them, and the Lord will blot out their names from ember heaven. The Lord will single them out from all the tribes for disaster, according to the curses of the covenant written in the book of the law. The person who abandons this to say that I will be fine and secures blessing only for themselves is the one who's blotted out in this place. And what it continues with is that your children will follow you in later generations and foreigners who come and they will see the calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases which the Lord has inflicted it. And the whole land will turn into the Sodom and Gozora-like place. And what the nations will ask, and this is instructive to this, is that if we go back to the Abrahamic blessing, is that he is blessed to be a blessing to the nations. And so when Israel fails to be a blessing to the nations, the nations ask, why has the Lord done this to this land? Why this fierce burning anger? They are to live a public life before others. They are to guard in this way. They are to, to know that their faults, we talked about this with the name, defame the Lord and their strengths um, uh, are attested to the Lord. And, it, and it's instructive here that, that Israel has never been chosen because it was smarter than the rest, greater than the rest, prettier than the rest, or anything like that, but because God in his gracious election chose them. Why this way? And it will be because the people abandoned the covenant. They went off and worshipped other gods um, when he brought them out of Egypt. They, um, therefore, the Lord's anger burned against the land, so they brought all of the curses written in the book. And the furious of anger uprooted them from their land and thrust them into a new land as it is now. They've been brought out of the security of the place in which they've been called. And this, in some sense, is that bad news. This is why when we did Exodus 32, 33, and 34, I didn't think you could really preach on one of them because you would miss the good point that's arriving. To just give a sermon on uh, up until this point would be to say, bummer. Um, things have gone wrong, and it's all because of the ways in which you've turned astray. And that God is a God who abandons. And yet things turn. And it's this line that I want to stand out for us most today. Uh, from the end of chapter 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. That we may follow all the words of his law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may follow. What's going to come of all this belongs to the Lord. But we are to listen to what's been commanded. How are we going to escape this that belongs to the Lord? Why is Israel elect that belongs to the Lord? Um, it brought me to the passage from Romans that Kara read for us, which is on the back of the bulletin. I didn't put it on a slide, but you can see it resonating in this, which is, For the God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all which, just if you stop there, is an absolutely insane phrase. Um, 
God has bound everyone over to disobedience. That's our lot. So that he may have mercy on them all. And Paul picks up what would remind us of the secret things belong to the Lord our God. For, um, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Oh, who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through all things are for him and for uh, are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. How's this all going to work out? That's left to God. When we sit in death with no way out, it's for us to remember what God has taught for us. But for the rest, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Reminded me of this passage from the Chronicles of Narnia, which is a wide step from where we just were. Um, Aslan has just been crucified on the Ten Commandments, the law. It's too much allegory going on here. Anyways, in, in, in explanation-wise, the Ten Commandments. And what happens is, is these mice come and chew off his strings, and then they hear the, the Ten Commandments break, and they wonder... Um, what type of magic is this? And what Aslan says to them, it seems that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. How are we going to get out of this place? There's a law, which is the stand-in for magic here, that we know, but there's one deeper still that we don't know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed on a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. It's a deeper law, a secret which is not for us. Oh, how inexpressible the knowledge of God, unsearchable his judgments. It's this which we do not know. And so the whole passage turns from here, the beginning of 30, when all these blessings and curses I've set before you come and you will take them into your heart wherever the Lord God disperses you among the nations. And when your children return to the Lord and obey him with all, their, with all your heart and with all your soul, according to every command, I command you today. Then the Lord will gather and restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he has scattered you. That God will bind all things back together. That the last word is not death, but is life. There's this uh, theologian that David and I read, uh, Karl Barth, who, who talks about there's a divine no. And that sort of echoes with sin, and yet there's also a divine yes. And, and the strength of the yes is stronger than the no. In your election, in this sort of being brought into Israel, which is now the church, there is a yes that resides over us that is deeper than the no. Curses may come, but blessing is stronger than curse. These are not... um. Um, dialectic's not the word I'm looking for. Dualistic. Uh, there's all dark and there's all light. It's in some sense with God, always life is stronger than death. It's death doesn't have this final word, but something else comes from beyond it. And so it said that the Lord will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that they may love him with all their heart and with all their soul and live. Earlier, uh, chapter 10-ish, uh, I should have written this down, the people are called to circumcise their hearts. And now it is for the Lord to circumcise their hearts. This is what I, I was alluding to earlier about the surgery that we are to undergo, is that we try to surgery ourselves into healing and wholeness in so many different ways. And yet it is God who needs to cut us open and do that work. And there's pain in that. There certainly is. 
But it's not for us to accomplish all on our own, but will be the accomplishment of God. That it goes to that place and to that way, that God will be the one who will circumcise our hearts so that we will be able to hear, that we will be able to see, and that we will have a mind to live out in this way. That God will make us tender to his law and to what he's commanded us to, that this is for him. a wayside comment that uh, there's a phrase in the confessions which we just finished which saint augustine says i prayed that you would make me chaste but not yet um it's one of the most famous phrases but that's i think part of our struggle with this is that for many of us in our battle with sin and struggle and in all this is we say to the lord free me from this and yet often the undercurrent is not yet God, circumcise my heart, but tomorrow. Because today, and this is what he says, is that I was worried that you would heal me right then. Just one last hit, I think, is the way the addicts say it. And that is, I think, the way that all of us live. Just one last time. God, tomorrow, after this bender, after this time, after the time in which I go into this destruction, then you can do it. And you wake up in a mind that doesn't seek it again. And in some sense, we stretch ourselves forward. Now that I'm commanding you today, it's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up to heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may be it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you have to ask who will cross the sea and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. That this truth that God has for us is not something that's meant to be impossible for us. It's, well, that's weird. That's never happened before. Um, I'll fix that before we sing again, but I guess this is where we're at for now. It's not, not, not. Um, it's not too far. It's not beyond. It's not uh, cross the sea. It's not too high for us is what it says. But it is near to us. The word is near to our hearts is what God has commanded for us, that this is something that's within our reach and so that we can choose life. It's the last slide. Sorry, you don't get to see beautiful black on white. That we might choose life today. That this is what God has brought us into this place so that we can become a people of life in a country of death. We can be a witness to life. That we can bring this about is the final word here. 